This is Guitar Talk. To me, it just seems like there are endless possibilities. One of the things I like to find out, you know, how people got influenced in the play and the guitar, because stories are so unique. The trick is not to feel pressured to conform. If you know anything about Joel, he's been around the block. He's probably one of the most sought-after guitar players. How would you create that song? How would you turn that song into your song? There's not a guitar player on this planet that I personally don't follow closer. It's it's not something that you see too often. I only know a few players that do it. Now, from the home of the blues, Chicago, Illinois, welcome to Guitar Talk with your host, Jimmy Warren. All right, everybody, Jimmy Warren here. Welcome to another edition of Guitar Talk this Wednesday. Man, we have got an amazing show in store for you. Before we get into it, this program is brought to you by Charlie and John Strings, incredible, remarkable, long-lasting, vibrant strings at charlieandjohns.com, also available at Amazon, and also Guitars for Vets. It's an organization that helps veterans with PTSD through uh, guitar therapy, music therapy. Go to guitarsforvets.org to see how you can help them out today. Now, we've got a lot of great things going on at Guitar Talk. We've got some new uh, gear demos that are going to be releasing uh, this week. Uh, we've got the uh, Carl Martin Plexi Ranger that you're going to be able to see. We've got a variety of pedals from Roland uh, Music. Uh, we've got a Dumbler pedal. We've got a chorus and a flanger and a looper. A bunch of different stuff there. So, uh, you know, Make sure you're checking it out, okay? But today, man, I just want to turn our attention right away to the guest. You know, um, this guy was on YouTube doing instructional guitar stuff before anybody else. This guy is uh, the granddaddy of them all. He was with Guitar Zoom, still is. And I'm talking about Steve Stein. No matter where you go, that's the thing, you know, what that we talked about a little bit in the interview. Wherever I went on YouTube to look at guitar stuff, I always had a pop-up for an ad for Guitar Zoom or for Steve Stein. And one thing that I've learned about Steve is that he is truly a phenomenal guitar player. He really, really knows music. You know, he knows what he's doing. So he is by far an expert at what he is uh, sharing, you know, through his courses and classes and everything else that he does. But at the same time, uh, Steve has shown himself to just be an incredibly nice guy. Family guy, um, wow, you know, uh, could be on the road, probably touring with anybody. He's that talented, but he chooses to do what he do d- does. Excuse me, <laughs> do what he do do what he does simply because his family is important to him. I think that's pretty awesome. I really, really do. You're going to enjoy this interview because, man, this guy is an encyclopedia when it comes to guitar knowledge. So I'm not going to yap anymore. We're going to jump right in. Here you go. Here's Steve Stein from Guitar Zoom right here on Guitar Talk. Two, check one, two. Sounds great. Awesome. How you doing, bud? I'm good, man. Good. 
You know, I, I get to talk to guitar players, man, from all over the world. Some really interesting people. And I got to tell you, I don't know why. Well, I know why. But I've really got excited when your people reach out to me to to have you on the show. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And, I, and I'll tell you why. Because you've done something that so many people attempt to do and just never get across, you know, the, the sure. finish line. Sure. You know, and uh, it's amazing to me how you've uh, built such a uh, a huge world of, uh, of followers, you know, but at the same time, you've impacted the lives of probably millions of young sure. people that want to play. And I, man, I commend that. I really, well, do. I appreciate that, man. It, it, it's a huge blessing. I, I, I am thankful every day for what I, uh, what I get to do, you know, you got a nice, nice set of uh, gear behind you there. That's, that's very nice. I appreciate that. Thank you yeah. very much. Thank you. Well, I'm sure you probably got, you know, your own, uh, collection hit tucked away out of the way. <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing that that's your studio where you do everything from. Yeah. Yep. So when I face the other direction, which you can't really see when I face the other direction, that's where I do my actual filming, uh, so you get a shot this direction. And when I do stuff like this, I film the other way. So now you're seeing, you know, amps and some guitars and right. like bags, travel bags, all that stuff in the background. But yeah, so it, it, and then over here I have a couch and then over here I have a space for, uh, just recording, you know, just sitting at a guitar with an amp, things like that. So yeah, not a real big space, but, but, but certainly nice enough to, to be able to do multiple different things like this. Right. Now, how many, if you don't mind me asking, how, how much, how much time do you have to invest today right now into, uh, into what you do? I mean, uh, do you make videos every day, all day long? I mean, post-production and everything, or is it just a couple of days a week now and just, well, you know, the thing is, is that there's always, there's always content to be made, right? So there's, yeah. there's a couple different things. Like I try and go live, a couple, three times a week, but in different, in different areas, like, like Monday mornings, usually I do this thing called Monday morning, uh, Monday guitar motivation, where I'll go live on all the channels, all the social media channels, and just talk about some topic that might help people. Um, and then I usually go live privately with the guitar zoom members on a weekly basis on Facebook, just answering questions, things like that. Um, and then I may go live again, uh, depending on, but usually two or three times and I have a few of these podcasts every week and then I have content that I create. So I create either guitar courses or, uh, membership content. We have this thing called the VIP membership where I create, you know, just, I, I'm always asking people, what are you, what are you, what are you struggling with? And then I take those, that information and I create content for that. So I, just about every day I'm creating that kind of content. Now today I got my hair back in a ponytail because today is podcast day. So I've got a few podcasts I have to do today. And then, um, I'm doing some scripts for guitar zoom. So I just filmed something and, uh, I have some voiceovers I have to do. And then I just signed, I had 300, um, photos that I had to sign. So now I got to head out after about three hours. Once I pick up my daughter from school, I'll head to Fargo and uh, drop those off to get those mailed out to the guys, and then I'll come back, and then I have two more podcasts to do. So, wow! So, yeah. so you really have the schedule of uh, of of somebody that's actually out touring in that because it's it's almost identical in a lot of ways, you know. 
Yeah. The, the, the nice thing is, is now, um, you know, cause I'm, I'm 50 now. So as I get older, the more I like to be, and I, I it was really a conscious decision to, that I had to change my lifestyle so I could be home more because there was a time in my life when I was never home, I was always working or on the road with bands and things like that. And I wound up nearly divorced and, you yeah. know, was never home for my first child. I have two kids. And, um, and then, you know, about 10 years ago or so, I made a real conscious decision that I wasn't going to live like that anymore. So now, you know, like I just got back from a video shoot in Minneapolis, which is about a four hour drive for me. I play in a couple of bands out in the cities and, uh, today is Wednesday. So Monday we did a video shoot. Um, we did a, a performance and then it was filmed for a stream that's coming up sometime in the future. I'm not sure when. And, uh, so now what I do is I, I wind up bringing my family with whoever is available. So this time my wife and my youngest daughter went with, and uh, we try and make little mini vacations out of it as opposed to it just being business all the time. Yeah. So for me, the, the big thing is, is once, once my day is locked in for my obligations, once that's over, I stay off of social media. You know, I don't answer my phone. I don't check emails. It's, it's family time. Once, once that hits, once whatever time that is, sometimes, you know, my whole day could be shot and sometimes I might be done by, you know, four or five in the afternoon and then the rest of the, the evening is just yeah family time, you know? Wow. Hats off to you for that. You know, I, I toured for 17 years and after 17 years, I quit. Mm. I, so, I sold all my gear and quit playing all together and moved my family to uh, Southern Illinois. And I took a regular job for the same reason that you're talking about. It was just, uh, life was just so crazy and so hectic and you know there's there's good things good influences in there and there were some bad influences in there as well sure. and uh and i quit playing uh for for a number of years actually it was 2019 when i went back in the studio and oh, recorded, wow. recorded a, a new ep so i had stopped for i don't know maybe seven years sure in that but it, it takes the toll it can take a toll on you and i commend you for you know, making your family a priority because they can get lost in the mix of all of this sometimes. You're totally right. I mean, you know, I started, uh, I mean, I, you know, I don't know what questions you have, but I'll just kind of tell you what, when, when I was 17, I had my first guitar student that I started driving out to his house. So, uh, you know, that was, the, that's where the whole thing kind of started. And then trying to go to college and work and have students and then started playing in bands. And from then on, literally from when I was 17, you know, I, I never said no to any, any opportunity, any musical opportunity that would come up. I never said no to it. I just slept less. And I kept thinking, man, if I, you know, something's going to lead to something else. And if I say no to something, I'm shutting the door. Mm. So it was always a, a, you know, a bit of paranoia about saying no to anything and then, you know, I wound up, I, I became a professor at our uh, North Dakota State University here in, in Fargo, North Dakota. And then um, I was a Montessori instructor. If you know Montessori education, I was a Montessori yeah, instructor yeah. for 14 years. So I had all these students and then I had all these other jobs. And then I was playing in like four bands at the time. And this went on for, you know, many, many years. And then, you know, studio work or whatever it was that anybody would ever need or uh, doing a clinic, you know, different kinds of things like that. And it, it really was about 11, you know, somewhere around there, 11, 12 years ago, I just started burning out. 
I could yeah. feel it coming. And I've always loved teaching. I've always loved it. But the grind of every day, just everything that was going on, I loved everything I did. It just wound up being too much. Mm-hmm. And I could feel that burnout coming. And that's when I decided, you know, it was, it was somewhere in the mid 2000s that I went, what if I try to get online? Like it, if I could teach online and get 50 students for an hour mm-hmm. and make money doing that, I could work less. Cause that was my only out because I was out of hours. I was out of time. I couldn't make any more money. And, um, you know, a lot of the things I was doing weren't making a lot of money. It's not like playing in bands and things. They require a lot of time and effort, but they don't really generate a lot of income. But you get it in your mind that, well, I'm, I'm a musician. I got to play in a band. That's what I'm supposed to do. And uh, when I moved kind of out of out of that and started teaching more, I was making more money. But I thought, man, if I could start figuring out how to make this online thing work. And that's where this whole thing started. And then it just became what it is today. And now I don't do any private lessons, nothing. I just do everything I do is online. So my private yeah. life is my private life again. Wow. Wow. That's, that's a great story. I mean, and then that's definitely a story that a lot of people should hear musicians should hear, because I think almost everybody can relate to that to some degree. You know, I know for my, myself, when I started, I hung out cause I'm near Chicago. I hung out in Chicago at all the clubs, I mean, every night of the week, you know, and when I got my first gig with Buddy Miles, you know, uh, you, you, you stay there and you keep, you keep hanging out even while you're working because you want to stay in front of people. Because like you said a minute ago, you're always thinking, well, you know, this is going to lead to another opportunity. And, and it is true that if you don't stay in front of people, they forget who you are. That's right. You know, right. you got to You got to but there's there's a balance man and once again hats off to you I, I i like to know though you know uh what made you interested in the guitar to begin with well when i was a kid um you know i loved sports all my friends loved sports i grew up in a trailer court so you know everybody dreamed of being a football player or something like that um i ha- actually had a condition i was born with a condition that made me quite short i was very tall when i was a kid and i have a medical condition that wound up i i didn't get any taller and so um you know being a basketball player or something wasn't going to be in my future and i was always a big fan of listening to music and you know my dad and my mom my mom grew up you know i listened to a lot of country music and doo-wop things like that through my mom and my dad was always a big fan of like the beatles and led zeppelin and alice cooper so you know, it was always music around. Nobody was, nobody played instruments, but, and then I, when I was, it must've been somewhere around like eight or nine years old, we went to visit a, a cousin of mine and he had the album Love Gun by Kiss. Mm-hmm. And I had never really experienced that before. And I, I was looking at this album and looking at these guys and he's playing, you know, I Stole Your Love and whatever, what, whatever we were listening to at the time. And I went, oh my God, this is, I got to do this. Like I, <laughs> this is, I wanted to be Ace Freely. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. So, um, I, I tried guitar when I was like nine or 10. I tried this acoustic guitar, um, from my uncle and the strings were, you know, that far away from the neck. And I just had a book and I, I had no roadmap. So I had no idea what I was trying to do. And it, it was a huge failure. And then when I was 13, my parents bought me an electric guitar and um, I started taking a few lessons and it just, it just clicked. All of a sudden, 
it was very, it, not that it was easy, but it made sense in my brain. And ever since then, I just have never, I've never really stopped practicing and playing ever since then. I just, I loved it so much. And, um, and so here we are. So, so did you, did you jump in and start taking lessons right away? Cause I know, I, event, I know eventually you, you had to, because you know, you went on to, you know, do what you do, but yeah. Yeah. When I first started, when I first started, I had some lessons and it was, it was pretty much a failure. Um, because you know, I'd learned a couple of chords and things like that, but my teacher, and God bless him. I'm sure it was all my problem, you know, cause I, I've been a teacher. I know what it's like. Um, but he was trying to teach me things. I just didn't really want to learn. And I was very confused, you know, like it didn't feel like there was a path to me. It was just a little bit of blurb of information on this. And then a little bit of something like this. And I, I didn't really understand it. So that probably lasted all of maybe two months. And, and then I was done with lessons and but I had learned a few open chords. I had a couple of buddies that played a little bit of guitar. I learned how to play some power chords. And so really my lessons were massive ear training. I don't know how old you are, but back in the day, that's the only way you really learned. Either you had a student right. or you put on a record. You know, at that time for me, it was like High and Dry by Def Leppard, um, Diary of a Madman, uh, you know, by Ozzy. You know, there was Judas Priest stuff, Iron Maiden stuff, Number of the Beast, things like that. Uh, See You in Hell by Grim Reaper. Those albums, those were the ones I would sit and I would I would just listen to, you know, five or ten seconds and then lift the needle and try and figure out what it was. And then I would put it back and try it again and I would keep doing that. And I would, and that's how I learned how to play stuff. I never understood what I was doing until I got older and, um, you know, started meeting a few other people players there wasn't a lot of players around but a few other ones and then it just all exploded when I went to college um you know then all of a sudden I, I learned my theory and I learned how to read notes and all that kind of stuff but more importantly I learned about how musicians look at music how guitar players see the guitar by talking and hanging out and playing in bands and things um so that was just a real eye-opening experience. But yeah, for many years, I would play by ear. Whether I played everything right or not, I developed a, a real good sense of, of, of how to, to visualize and hear, which is part of the reason why I do what I do now, is teaching people how to think and how to see music um, when, they're, when they're trying to learn and they're trying to memorize and things like that. Yeah. So what do you think are a couple of the things that you did when you were in the formative days of learning the guitar that have helped make you the player that you are right now? For sure. My ability of being able to listen and analyze yeah, and hear layers of music, not just the guitar, but what everybody else is doing, learning how to see the structure of things. Um, and certainly the ability of being able to, try and connect to the music. Now, when I was growing up, everything was, was metal. Like I, I wasn't into anything else when I was a teenager. It was, it was all metal or nothing. So in those early days, that's all I played. So everything was based off technique. You know, this was, you know, in the mid eighties. So this is right at the height of Malmsteen and Satriani and the shrapnel label and all the iconic speed guitar players. 
So I was like, oh my God, you got to be so good to be able to get into a band and play in a bar. Little did I know, you don't really have to be that good to get in a band and play in a bar. But, yeah. but in my young mind, that's the way I was thinking of it. So it's like, oh, you got to keep practicing. I mean, you got to practice 10 hours a day to be able to play all this stuff. And, you know, and then finally in the mid 80s, early 80s, early 80s, you know, tablature had become a thing, Guitar World, Guitar for the Practicing Musician, those magazines had become something. Those were very much part of my education as, as, a, as a youngster as well, because, uh, you know, in the 70s you had Guitar World, but it was really like interviews and things like that. But right in the early 80s, they really started getting into tab and uh, having, you know, you could go out and buy a magazine and learn three or four iconic songs every month, mm-hmm. you know, something cool. And... Um, so I think that was the other thing was one of the biggest things, positive and negative for me, was the fact that I had developed this ability to be able to play metal. But then when I got into my early 20s, started realizing that more melodic rock like Journey and uh, Toto with Steve Lukather and guys like that were really something else that I had never even really experienced because I spent no time listening to them and then went, oh, my God, I really love this style of playing. Yeah. Yeah, well, you mentioned a lot of a lot of great players there. You know, there's there's two trains of thoughts that I've I've come across, and that is some people will tell uh, somebody that's that's learning how to play to uh, you know take the song that they love, let's say it's Stairway to Heaven, learn how to play Stairway to Heaven the way that it is, and then and then you know take it beyond that you know and add your own to it. And then there's other people that will say is that will say. Well, no, you don't have to do it just like he did it. You just want to do your interpretation of it. Sure. Which do you think is the best train of thought? I'll, I'll tell you exactly what I think about this, but it might take a little longer than you think. But um, <laughs> for me, there, there's three approaches to songs, and, and it could this could apply to rhythm or this could p- apply to the solo. But when you're going to play a song, you have to decide how much time you have to dedicate to that song. Because if somebody says, hey, Jimmy, I need you to play next weekend and I've got 60 songs for you to learn and you're going to play in a week, you know, nine days. Okay, well, how much can you learn of those songs? You're going to learn structurally how to get through the songs, but are you going to learn everything note for note, right? Yeah. So yeah, it, it, yeah. it kind of depends on how much time you have, how much time you're willing to spend and what the outcome you expect from that. Because like what I teach people is is just making this very quick, I tell people you're either learning one of two songs. You're either learning ego songs. Ego songs are songs that you can tap yourself on the back. You don't have to learn everything exact. You don't have to learn the solo. You don't have to learn all the riffs, but you're playing something that has a beginning, a middle, and an ending. And you can play along with the music. You're not you're not doing everything exactly, but you're getting the experience of playing music. And younger I shouldn't say younger in terms of age, but earlier players should learn how to do that so they can experience the joy of playing along with music as opposed to getting stuck in, well, I can't learn measure seven because I don't know how to sweep pick. So now I got to spend the next nine months trying to figure out how to sweep pick and then I'll come back to this song and figure it out. That's what a project song is. A project song is a song that you really do want to attack and you want to learn how to play as accurately as humanly possible because there's something in there that's worth your time. There's something in there that you want to extract and utilize in your playing. The downside to project songs are oftentimes you'll never get all the way through the song because it's just, you know, pick whatever dream theater song, right? I mean, you're going to get, that's a prime example. You're only going to get so accurate with it anyway, 
mm-hmm. before you're probably going to run out of time or patience or interest or whatever might happen. But you can extract something out of there that is very useful to you. So there are ego songs and project songs. So for me, the three things about learning songs are you're either trying as best you can to learn that song note for note as best as you can. I still don't believe you really can because there's still a feel thing. And, you know, you grew up different than whoever your icons are. You could love Steve Vai and you're still never going to be exactly like Steve Vai. You, you can get as close as you can. So that's one thing. The second thing is, is that you pull out the core elements of the song that are signature, that really need to be there. You know, you try and attack the crazy, for me, like Crazy Train, not that I want to hear that song again ever in my life, but, but the solo itself is an iconic Randy Rhodes solo. It just is. So if I am going to play it, I'm going to try and play it as accurate as I can, but it's still not going to be 100%. Mm-hmm. And then the third level is, you you instill yourself into it. So, and I always use like Black Sabbath as a prime example. I Not that I don't love Tony Iommi, I love Tony Iommi, but if I get a chance to play something like Heaven and Hell on stage, the solo is mine. I'm not replicating that solo. I'm just gonna go do my own thing uh, because it's, it's a fun experience for me as a guitar player, as a musician, because that song is kind of right in my zone in terms of what I would love to do with a guitar solo. So I wouldn't play his solo. Not that I don't love his solo. It's just, that's something I'd rather do on my own where if I was playing crazy train, I'm going to try and play it as close as I can, but I'm, it doesn't make me not sleep at night because I didn't do this one little thing, you know, or pick it a certain way. Like he did. I, I don't stress over those things. Yeah. So, so what would you say though, if the person that's playing is trying to develop themselves into, you know, an original artist. They have their own hopes of dreams of becoming, you know, Tony McAlpine or Steve Vai or whoever sure. in that. You know, would you say you still say follow the train of thought that you're that you're putting out there because of the lessons that are to be learned in the song or would you say, you know what, learn the structure of the song but do your own thing within that. Song. Well, I think you have to be ready for that because the, the, you have to get to a place where you can do that. Like I learned songs for many years and never understood what the heck I was doing. I could memorize licks. I could do all that stuff, but I didn't have improv skills when I was younger. So I could learn, you know, whatever Iron Maiden song and replicate it to a certain degree, but I couldn't, there's an art to extracting the information and being able to utilize it in your own playing. So that's part of it is the student has got to be ready to be able to extract that information and then understand that because you just learned this whatever solo doesn't mean you're going to be able to utilize all the licks and stuff from that solo, right? Because the song that you're playing over has got a different tempo. It's got a different groove. It might be in a different key, um, different chord changes. And that's where I used to struggle was now what, what I try and teach people, and this is kind of what the membership is all about that Guitar Zoom has, is smaller bits of information. Some people need a path. I don't understand when I was a kid. I don't understand what I'm doing. How do I get from here to here? I don't right. understand what scales are. Teach me what a scale is and how to use it on the, on the fretboard, right? That sort of thing. But if you're already there and you're like, okay, so what I really need right now are some cool patterns. I've got some licks. I got some 70s and 80s kind of licks, but I need some bigger, more elaborate patterns around the fretboard. So what I will do and what I teach people to do is seek out songs. Maybe you're just listening in your car or whatever, and you hear something and you hear this thing and you go, I want to know what that is. I might not play it exactly like the artist. I'm not playing the song. 
I'm just extracting that piece of information because I thought that sounded really cool and I want to figure out what it is and then I'm going to morph it into something that fits my fingers, fits mm-hmm. my visualization of the fretboard because then I can use it. If I don't yeah. learn how to do that, I can't use it. It's just going to sit over there and if I play that song, I can use that. But if I'm not playing that song, I can't utilize that in the real world. Yeah, yeah. So, so let me, let me switch gears just a little bit. Sure. You've covered, I mean, so many various topics, you know, uh, throughout your time, you know, doing uh, guitar zoom and, and that, uh, do you find that you just start to run out of ideas or things to do, or do you just continually get new information from all the people that are paying attention? And that's where the ideas come from. That's a that's a great question. The the if you stay back, if you stand back like with a bird's eye view on things, it's very easy to go, gosh, I've talked about pentatonic or I've talked about whatever. But it's when you get up close, you start going, it, this thing just never ends. Like there's just a billion things you could talk about. So I have like saved, you know, uh, on on th- through the the internet, you know, through uh, Chrome or whatever, I have all these bookmarks saved of all of these different things for to study and to learn. And so what I try and do is, is for me, I have to keep learning myself. So that way I stay inspired. And every time I come up with something new and go, oh, I never thought about that, or that's really interesting, or that's a cool lick, then I, again, I always wind up morphing everything into something that makes sense in my brain. And then that's what I wind up utilizing in, in teaching. So I think the most important thing to not get stagnant with it is you have to keep learning. And, you know, the guitar, as much as you might, I don't, I don't mean you, I just mean a person, an individual, looking at the guitar from the eighties and how insanely good these players were. And then you look at 2021 and there's a whole new slew of equally insane younger players out there that are just, just unbelievable. And, um, how things are a little different. Like they took from the earlier players, but they're doing new things. They're, they're playing differently. Um, you know, you, you tend to sense a lot more chromaticism and jazz playing and things in a lot of these more modern rock and metal players. Again, what I study more than anything else. Um, and so, you know, you wind up being inspired by some 19 year old kid out there that's playing and you go, what the heck was that? You know, so <laughs> it, it keeps you from just doing the same thing all the time. Now, again, I, I am who I am, just like you are. I mean, I do yeah. every day I grab the guitar. I do a lot of the same things. But if I can just, you know, inject just something new in there, some new idea, it changes the way I think about things. And at least for that thing that I'm building, there's something different. So everything else that's coming up to it might be the same, same stuff I've always been using. But now I have this new thing that I that I keep trying to learn and I'm careful not to try and overdo it. Like that's what one thing I teach all the time too, is be careful. Don't try and learn too much at once because then you just kind of wind up with nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly true. So, you know what, as I said in the very beginning, when we first started talking, so many people set out to do what you do, you know what I mean? I mean, I, I, I get and receive and see so many uh, videos of guys, you know, either playing or trying to do a lesson or trying to, you know, do something in that. And a lot of people, man, they just, they just don't get, you know, over the starting line at all with this. And it's got to take a lot of patience and a lot of just perseverance, just pushing through 
because as somebody that's done a few videos, I haven't done a whole lot, but as somebody that's done a few videos, I, I understand how much time it takes. But in the beginning, do you find yourself getting a little, you know, um, I don't know, frustrated with, well, okay, I only, I put out this video and I had 12 views or I had 100 <laughs> views. You know what I mean? I you know exactly this, what you mean. Is this really what I want to do? You that's know, right. what do you tell somebody that's just trying to, you know, maybe well, I, follow your footsteps? Absolutely. So the one thing is, is obviously the, the social media market is far more saturated now than it was 10 years ago, right? Yeah. So, and the thing is, is that I never set out to be a social media thing. Like I never, I, you know, even just my name, Steve Stein, never thought about like branding and all this kind of stuff. Cause I thought who, nobody's going to give a crap anyway. I'm from Fargo, North Dakota. Um, <laughs> so it never occurred to me to like try and buy a website and all these different things like people do now. And even on, you know, I, I used to use the, 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 the tag Stein music lessons, Stein music lessons, which makes no sense because there was never the word guitar in there where there was no such thing as a keyword search when I was younger. There was no, you know, you never thought about anything like that. So the first thing is, is making sure that you've got your, your branding, which is your name and whatever it is that you do kind of intact. The second thing is, is that I never intended for any of this to become what it was. I was already doing 7,000 other things when I started getting into YouTube, which is really the first thing I did. And just making some videos just for the sake of making some videos. I, you know, there, there wasn't monetization at the time. And, you know, I, I, you know, now I know Marty Schwartz and those guys very, very well. But in the beginning, I didn't understand any of that where Marty had already had a plan. That's why he did so great was he saw the, the potential of YouTube and, uh, and was able to capitalize on it. I didn't see that. Basically, what I did was I was just trying to go to every website I possibly could and sign up some sort of a music website, you know, for online lessons or whatever it might be. And just to get my name, Steve Stein, on everything I possibly could. And I don't know if it helped or hurt. Um, I'm sure it probably didn't hurt. But And YouTube was really no different in my eyes. I didn't see it as this thing. So that's the difference for me was I didn't go like now we've got kids that are growing up and that's what they want to be as a YouTuber. Like that wasn't even a, a, a term <laughs> for me. Right. Yeah. So if you're going to get in on it, what the one thing I would say is, is number the single most important thing is be authentic, be you because 10 years from now or 20 years from now, if you're still doing this and you're not that person, who are you? Did you change like nine times throughout these 10 years and become different people? You know what I mean? Yeah. People understand authentic. Mm -hmm. So I think that's number one. Do what you do the way you do it. Don't try and be somebody else. Don't try and talk like somebody else. Just, just do it the way you want to do it um, to make it authentic because the trends, you know, thumbnails and, you know, hashtags and they, they constantly are changing the trends of all these things are changing and the most important thing is the content now we're guitar players we're teachers and so we don't have the most exciting content you know if you want to make exciting content you do video games or you know we all know youtubers that don't just do content they do other things so they play right. guitar but they're funny or they play guitar but they make fun of x y or z or they i mean there's all kinds of different things that you can do in the in the youtube uh world and and again whatever works for you i it's not for me to judge you just have to figure out who you are for me i just always knew that what i was good at was 
talking about guitar playing to people. So I just have been driving that same ship since I was 17 years old and it's always worked for me. So, you know, that I wasn't using this as something, you know, until my next gig shows up, I'm just going to teach a few lessons to pay the bills. I really enjoyed teaching. And, and so that hasn't changed. It's just the opposite for me. I play in bands and I've, I've toured and, and things like that. And I love that sort of thing, but I'm not a road dog. I'd rather be at home mm-hmm. hanging out, you know, watching TV with my family, especially at the age I am than being on the road for six months. Well, I got to tell you what, Steve, man, you are an interesting guy. You're fascinating. And uh, I've only said this to one other person, and that one other person was Carl Verhey, who I, I, I'm sure you know. I sure do. You know, I wish you were my neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like an ex- encyclopedia of all things guitar, man, which I really, really dig. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate you coming on Guitar Talk and giving us a little bit of your time. Absolutely. And let, I let my listeners know who you are. They already do. Because believe me, whenever you go to YouTube and if you're looking at guitar stuff, man, <laughs> there you are, man. You pop up all the time. I'm yeah, like, right. I'm right. Like, I have a good marketing team for sure. Yeah, you definitely do. So hats off to them. Yeah. So, uh, you know. Good luck, man, in the future, and thank you so much for coming on, and I wish you and your family the best. Well, great. I I appreciate that, Jimmy, and thank you so much for having me, and you have a wonderful day, all right? All right. You too, buddy. Take care. Take care. All right. So there you go, Steve Stein, everybody, right here on Guitar Talk. I want to thank Steve so much for uh, reaching out to us, you know, to participate in Guitar Talk. It was an absolute pleasure chatting with him and getting to know more about him as a player and uh, what he does there for Guitar Zoom. Make sure you follow him, you know, on YouTube. I mean, be one of the other millions of people that pay attention to Steve Stein on YouTube and Guitar Zoom. And I tell you what, man, if you're looking to learn, if you're looking to grow as a player, he's somebody you can definitely turn to. Okay, now turning, you know, next Wednesday, we've got a real special treat. I've got Elliot uh, Michaels from Rumble Seat Music in Nashville, Tennessee, that's going to be on the program. Now, he deals in vintage guitar gear, right? He is... He's the guy, you know, he's one of the guys, man, that knows everything there is to know about vintage gear. But at the same time, he's a player, right? Now, he had a a store or a couple of stores in New York, and they ended up, you know, uh, having stores in, I think, in Florida and California and Arizona. And then eventually he closed everything and relocated to to Nashville, which is, you know, the perfect spot to be. So in the meantime, you know what? Uh, You can go to Rumble Seat. That's R-U-M-B-L-E-S-E-A-T music and check out what he's got because I was recently there during uh, the NAMM show. I stopped in to see uh, Elliot and to check out some of the stuff he has. And of course, I mean... He's got just some of the greatest gear that you could possibly imagine in his store, and he knows everything about it. So this is going to be a real treat for everybody. So make sure you come back next Wednesday when Elliot Michaels 
of Rumble Seat Music is going to be my guest. Uh, please go to guitartalkofficial.com, sign up so you get our newsletter so you don't miss anything. Make sure you stay focused. Follow us on uh, Facebook, and of course, follow me, Jimmy Warren, on Twitter and Instagram as well. I want to thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Guitar Talk with Steve Stein. Until next week, y'all stay safe. <laughs>